Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, welcome in. It is Downtown, the podcast, episode number 158. This is Rich Kimball, joined in studio by Carrie Haskell. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. As is often the case, a couple of terrific conversations for you coming up on this week's podcast. In the second half, we talk with veteran character actor William Sanderson. Well, you know him best as Larry, one of the three brothers on Newhart. But he's had a terrific career in film and television. Well, and announced that he is officially retired when he visited with us. And you'll hear that a little bit later on. And he'll also talk about the recent virtual New Heart reunion. But up first, though, a guy who had an idea, followed his dream, and made the most of it. His name is Ricky Cobb, and he's a college professor out in the Chicago area. But he got the idea to put together, well, a Twitter feed that has expanded into a website and a podcast celebrating the 1970s. It's called Super 70 Sports it touches on sports, music, movies, television, pop culture, and that very special decade of the 1970s. We had a chance to talk with the founder, the guy behind it, Ricky Cobb. Rich Kimball, the main man. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Well, we're so happy to have you on. I, I've been a big, big fan of of what you do for a, a long, long time. And then I, I find out that uh, you know we've got more in common than just our love of the greatest decade ever, uh, you teach sociology. Now, you do it at the college level. I do it with high school students. I do. I thought you were going to say that you were good looking. Well, there's uh, that, but that's that I mean, that's a yeah. given, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, no, I am a, a sociology uh, professor by day, and so this has been a rather uh, unexpected midlife adventure for me to become the uh, Super 70s guy as well. Well, what was the inspiration in getting this all started? You know, I, I read a book called Big Hair and Plastic Grass. Oh, our man and, Dan Epstein. Yeah, okay. You're hip, you're hip to Dan. So, uh, yeah, great guy, and I've, I've become friends with Dan over the past several years. But uh, when, when that book came out, I didn't know Dan, and that was really uh, my introduction uh, to, to funky Dan Epstein. And uh, <laughs> Dan was... Uh, promoting uh, his books on Facebook, and he was posting old baseball cards from the 70s and things like that. And I, I found myself looking forward every day to what Dan was posting. You know, he would throw up these baseball cards of Willie Stargell or <laughs> Gary Maddox, or, you know, you just never knew who was going to be next. Or usually Oscar and, Gamble anytime he could justify it. <laughs> Yeah, Oscar Gamble, anytime you can justify it, and the same certainly holds true for tweets. But I, I you know, I was a fan of Dan's stuff, and I was uh, I was on Christmas break uh, one one winter, and I guess looking for uh, something to amuse myself with, uh, you know, during the downtime. And I thought, well, gosh, maybe I could kind of take what Dan does and see if the same concept would work if I applied it to more than just baseball and, and other sports and as time has gone on, I've, I've sort of you know, ended up applying it to more than the 70s and more than sports. There's a lot of pop culture and 
and other things as it's evolved. But uh, I've got to I've got to give Dan Epstein all the credit for uh, planting that seed in my mind. Well, that's great. Yeah, we love Dan. Dan has been on a bunch with us. Matter of fact, he and Ron Bloomberg were on talking about their new book uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I got a copy of that. I, ha- I haven't had a chance to to dig into it yet, but uh, you know, Dan bats a thousand and. Uh, and Bloomberg certainly has a very uh, interesting story to tell uh, of, about himself and Thurman Munson. So I'm definitely uh, you know, looking forward to putting that high on my summer reading list. Well, the Twitter feed is just, it's insane. You've got almost half a million followers. What's the secret of your success? What's the magic that's got so many people looking forward to seeing what you do? Well, Rich, I, you know, I can I can certainly tell you when I started the account, I never could have imagined in my wildest dreams that it would become so popular or that I would be approaching 5,000 followers, much less a half a million. Um, I I think that I sort of unwittingly tapped into, um, you know, almost this sort of uh, cultural magic uh, that for, you know, a lot of us of a certain age, uh, a lot of the material that I post is very evocative. You know, it's almost like a good song, you know, how it takes you back to a particular place or time in your life. And I found that these tweets and some of the subjects that I address seem to kind of do the same thing for people. So, you know, I, I tell folks sometimes that I feel like this Twitter feed is almost like we're having uh, an informal class reunion uh, generationally uh, every day. And I, and I really... Uh, didn't realize how powerful that was going to be until the account passed 2,000 and 3,000 and 5,000 and, and 10. And I was I was amazed, uh, you know, e- even to be at that level uh, of followers. And it happened fairly quickly. I think I I think I got to about 20,000 within the first year, which was astonishing. And if you told me then that I'd be approaching the number that I have today, I would have. Uh, you know, I would have said, get out of here and, and shoved you like a, like a lame Bennett. <laughs> but, uh, but here we are, you know, and it's, uh, I, I have to tell you, it's the joy of my life. I don't think that, I don't think there's anything I've ever done in, in my life that has been more delightful, entirely unexpected, and has led me to make so many friends and acquaintances that, uh, you know, I value just so much. We're talking with Ricky Cobb from Super 70 Sports, and uh, yeah, you know, you hit the nail on the head, and I'm I'm older than you, but you know, I graduated in the mid-70s, and it really is. It's like, uh, it's like a class reunion every day, but with the guys you wanted to hang out with, not some of those other people, and it's, I mean, it's laugh out loud funny. I'm looking at one of the posts from today that features uh, uh, Olivia Newton-John, and I'll, I'll share this one uh, the tweet is, contrary to what Greece led me to believe, I eventually learned there weren't going to be any 30-year-old hot Australian women in my high school. I and mean, that's, that's just brilliant. I love that. Profoundly disappointing, <laughs> as, you, as you can imagine. <laughs> and then, I had uh, such high aspirations when yeah. I saw Greece. Well, it's it's so laugh out loud funny, and then other times just uh, man, some of the great memories when you posted uh, the picture of as a Red Sox guy here of Yaz and Ted Williams together, and some of your tributes to the great athletes, and just the personalities that made, for my money, the seventies the, the most interesting decade. Yeah, I I am asked 
frequently, you know, why the 70s? And I guess the simplest answer is that was, you know, when I was born. I was born in 71. I'm actually a little young to be the 70s guy. I It probably would have made more sense if I were the 80s guy, I, I suppose. But I've always had this fascination with just the aesthetics of the 70s. And, and, and not just the aesthetics, but a lot of the cultural aspects of it, too. You know, we've uh, we've certainly made progress in society in, in a lot of ways since the 1970s, but there's there is there's something so charming uh, about it. You know, the the sort of lack of self awareness, I suppose, in some respects uh, that we had culturally compared to today. Because there's so many things. You know, it, it's not that long ago. It might seem that way to our kids, but it's really not that long ago. And, and to think that. Uh, you know, seatbelt, eh, not really. <laughs> the car has them, but they, they mostly exist to burn your legs in July, you know, when you climb in and, and didn't put them on if you were like me. The playground equipment uh, that we had, you know, some of these slides that were tall and precarious and there were no guardrails. And you, you look at the playgrounds that uh, – that we that we had as kids, and it's like, my goodness, we're, you know, did did any adult turn uh, to another adult and say, hey, you know, do you think this is a, really a good idea? Um, <laughs> apparently not. You know, they won't they won't let you leave the the hospital with your newborn, uh, you know, until they see that, rightly so, until they see that the child is fastened safely and properly. And you know, I remember uh, my mom talks about taking me to the grocery store when uh, I was two years old. And my mom, who, you know, by conventional 70s standards was uh, pretty much an overprotective parent, would allow me to stand in the passenger seat, shotgun, as we're on our way to the grocery store, you know, <laughs> and my seatbelt was her arm. If she had to stop short, uh, you know, she had to reach over and catch me and you know that was just the world that we that we lived in. Secondhand smoke everywhere, and uh, you know you look back on it today, and it, it's pretty crazy uh, some of the attitudes <laughs> that were so prevalent then. But it was it was our normal at the time. You posted a picture yesterday of a, a classic '70s bicycle, and uh, the tweet was, "I can't tell you precisely what will happen on this bike, but I do know it will, will involve a child, a quest for greatness." and a trip to the emergency room. And man, oh man, did I live that. Why? Because I was old enough to watch Evil Knievel in the 70s, but obviously not smart enough to account for uh, aerodynamics because a buddy and I built a ramp. And, and I had my little chopper bike, and uh, man, I, I just remember the moment of going airborne on the end of that ramp and feeling like I was flying, and then somewhere along the way, time stood still as I realized that my trajectory was much greater than my seventh grade math skills allowed for. And, and <laughs> me and the bike were never the same after that. So that brought back some memories, not all of them pleasant. Uh, definitely some physics lessons were learned the hard way uh, in those days. Yeah, Evil Knievel uh, was an incredible character. But, uh, you know, there's, there, there would have been a heck of a, a class action lawsuit against him, I think, if we, <laughs> if we counted up the, uh, the emergency room trips due to uh, severely misguided Evil Knievel uh, inspiration. 
that there's there's no telling. The number maybe uh, the number of broken bones and scrapes and cuts and injuries is probably infinite. But we had a heck of a time doing it anyway. Now I, I read the wonderful piece the Chicago Trib did on you uh, a while back, and at the time. I believe the most uh, the most popular in terms of likes and and retweets and shares and all of that. The most popular post you had was the uh, the classic with Howard Cosell, O.J. Simpson, and the athlete formerly known as Bruce Jenner. Uh, is that still the most popular one you've had? That is the most popular one that I've had. Yeah, it's I, I you know I guess we all work in the shadow of what we've previously done, and uh, <laughs> that one that one shadow still looms pretty large so uh until i'm able to uh get something out there that uh is more widely uh, distributed than that i suppose that that's the standard that i work against <laughs> but uh that that's that's the one that uh that, that everybody talks about and i you know I, I told someone not that long ago that it's my hey jude I guess, you know, I'll be playing that one during the encore until I'm 70, probably. But, uh, but I, but, but it's one of my favorites anyway. So, uh, so, you know, I don't mind. And, and of course, you know, it's just great. It's great to be acknowledged, right? You know, if you, if you get something out there and people enjoy it and they share it and it gets memed and, and all of those good things. Uh, you know that that's a great feeling because uh, you know you as a comedian and as someone who's trying to entertain people every day, you know certainly that's the goal is hit the mark and, and give people something that they think is worth telling their friends about. So that 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 uh, for that reason, I suppose that that's my favorite tweet. Now, not everybody appreciates the humor. Do is there one tweet in particular that has upset more people than others? Oh, geez. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, I don't get in trouble with people probably as often as you might think. People complain about the cursing, which, uh, you know, I, I work a little blue sometimes uh, <laughs> language-wise. I try not to be vulgar, but I, I you know, I pepper I, I pepper the, the captions with uh, words that, uh, may not be safe for work. I, I'm trying to think what would have been, uh, you know, the, the, the Joe Paterno loyalist uh, <laughs> came at me pretty hard a few years ago, and I think I lost a bunch of followers because I had uh, made a tweet about Joe Paterno that was uh, not casting Joe in a, in a, in a positive light. Uh, you know, that's where you'll get people sometimes is if you, uh, if you go after – you know, someone's hero, uh, you're more likely to, uh, to tick somebody off, I think, than probably anything else. I, I've never had the subject of a tweet uh, complain to me. You know, they, mm. that, I suppose, in itself is maybe a little surprising, but I've never had somebody, you know, message me or contact me and say, hey, I didn't like that tweet that you made about me. But if you, uh, if you poke fun at someone that someone else has up on a pedestal, uh, you know, sometimes they don't like it so much. Now, you also do a terrific podcast, and uh, I'm, I'm envious because we uh, we strive to get the uh, the unusual and, and occasionally the forgotten guest from that period of time on the show. And I, I'm immensely impressed that you got both lows, but also I don't know. I'm torn between extreme jealousy that you had Dave Parker on your show and Leroy Jordan. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I thank you. Yeah, Leroy Jordan appreciation. and He's a prince of a guy. Uh, Dave Parker was amazing. Uh, yeah, to, to, it's pretty heady stuff. Uh, you know, when you find yourself talking to Rob Lowe or <laughs> Dale Earnhardt Jr., I had, I mean, for for goodness sake, I had Barry Williams on, you know, to, to, to be talking to Greg Brady <laughs> and getting to pick his brain about, uh, about the Brady Bunch. That's about as surreal as it gets. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a part of me, even though I'm getting used to it a little bit now, uh, there's still a part of me that kind of shakes my head and marvels at the fact that, uh, you know, some of these folks are able to carve out 30 minutes or an hour to talk to little old me, you know, it's, oh, yeah. uh, it's pretty wild. For for us, that, that surreal moment uh, was when uh, Marion Ross, Mrs. C, was dropping F-bombs in the middle of an interview. Oh, my God, that, that is awesome. <laughs> is, that, is that archive? Is that archive somewhere? Oh yes, right? oh yes, that's uh, that's up okay. on the website. Although Carrie, is that the is it the air version, the clean version, or the unexpurgated? Uh, it, if if you go, if you get it off our podcast, it is unfiltered. If it's off the <laughs> website, uh, which is these, we we archive everything on the website as well. The straight archive on the website is the aired clean version. <laughs> I want I want Marion Ross uncensored. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, know, yeah, that's that's the real deal. I, I I want the straight I want the straight f bomb dropping Mrs. C. That's that, incredible. That is the only way to have her. Now uh, you you posted recently a picture of uh, uh, what I always say was the item the greatest Christmas gift I ever got that led to the biggest disappointment and and my first understanding as a youngster that what we saw on TV was not real. And that was, of course, the electric football game. <laughs> I, uh, I knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> I, there's never been a more disproportionate ratio of looks like fun to actually fun than electric football. I mean, if you, if you set the men out on the board and you just look at it, it looks like you are about ready to have the time of your life. Oh, yeah. And you and you should stop there, right? Right, like, right. Don't point it into the wall. Keep it. If you have a man cave and you have room, it's a beautiful decoration. Um, I know that there are people out there who uh, who feel like they have gained some mastery over electric <laughs> football. I actually know a guy who plays in a competitive electric football league, and these guys, you know, they they basically take equipment and and you know work the underpinnings of the little men oh yeah to, my my former know, co-host built an electric football set built a stadium to match our main black bears home stadium and then created the all-time greatest colonial athletic association teams by weighting the bottoms of players to to give them additional speed and that's uh, for me an impressive level of obsession when you create an a football championship subdivision electric football game that's a man that needs a girlfriend <laughs> i think his wife said that too yeah okay. <laughs> i was no, so I, bad I, I, ricky I was so bad, I had, after my experience with the electric football game, I still convinced my mom to buy me the electric baseball game, which was even worse. We just didn't learn, did we? No. You know, it's, 
it, the, the, the old Sears wish book back in those days, I, I still can flip through, uh, you know, a 40-year-old Sears wish book. And, you know, I want, I want everything, uh, you know, that's in there because it's, it, it's the dream. Electric football just represents the dream of a, of a better tomorrow. I, and, and, I, and I'll tell you this, I never completed a pass. Oh no! It's, okay. It was impossible to complete a pass. Although, Never. if you if you took the size of the field into consideration and extrapolated, your your straight on St. Louis Cardinals Jim Bakken place kicker could boot that <laughs> ball approximately thirteen miles. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, which is you know really a, a lot better than Jim Bakken ever did. You know, I, Jim Bakken. <laughs> played in the NFL for 17 years and he had one 50 yard field goal <laughs> in his career. Of course he was wearing a shoe that was made of metal and probably where, you know, weighed 17 pounds. So we got, we got to grade these things on the curve, but well, yeah. yeah and, 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 and did it while sporting a buzz cut and smoking a Paul mall. <laughs> That's right. At halftime on the sideline, <laughs> you know, the, the, the main, uh, the main nutrition that these guys had in those days was, you know, al- al- alcohol and nicotine and, and meat. That was basically, that was how they subsisted, a few potatoes. And that's why but, we celebrate. Know, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. No, I'll tell you, uh, uh, electric football definitely, hands down, the, the all-time fun-to-look-at uh, chaos-to-play uh, game. You know, <laughs> I, 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 and yet, and yet I somehow every time before I, I, I plugged it in that this was going to be the day that it somehow made sense. Oh, exactly. But I just, just never happened. I just did it to make the cat run away. That was the, the big thing at the time. Well, uh, Ricky, it is so great to talk with you. I could talk with you all day long. I appreciate you so much for being on with us. want to mention, too, you've got a little sale going on in the Super 70 Sports store today as well. $5 off everything. Yes, sir. We do. Yeah, we're kind of like coal. You know, we, we, we run the, we run the special pretty consistently uh, for the followers of the, of the Twitter account and uh, super 70 sportsstorecom If you've never been there, I would encourage your audience to, to give it a look. I always tell people, uh, you know, you might not buy anything, but I will tempt you because we've got a lot of really cool stuff from the seventies and eighties and, and beyond in there. pop culture sports. Uh, it, it's a fun place to window shop. Super 70 Sports, our favorite place to go out there on Twitter. Our thanks to our friend uh, Josh Karp for getting us together, and thanks to you, Ricky, for being with us today. I hope you'll come back and visit again sometime. Hey, Rich, it was my pleasure. Even though you're a friend of Josh Karp, I like you anyway. Appreciate you for not judging me by the company I keep. Thanks, Ricky. (laughs) Thank you, Rich. Ricky Cobb of Super 70 Sports. And you were just a well, you were just a babe in the woods back in the seventies, Carrie. But I know, like me, you have an appreciation of uh, that decade and, and what Ricky does to celebrate it. Yes, his Twitter his Twitter is just amazing. But yeah, I have fond memories of the seventies. I mean, I I was well, you guys. It, it was my this, childhood years, right? You're so. about the same age as Ricky. I mean, he's mm. younger than me. Um, as he said, you know, he'd been maybe it would have made more sense for him to do the eighties. But there's something about the seventies that's special. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, was, by the end of the 70s, I was 12. But so that those years of 
eight, nine, ten, towards the end of, mm. of the seventies, there, there was some great stuff happening. And, and as a kid, it was a lot of fun. And those were the years I think that made the seventies too. The early seventies, yeah, kind of an extension of the sixties, but you know, those last few years, boy, it was all all the beauty, all the wonder, and all the awfulness <laughs> yes. of the seventies kind of coming together. But uh, if you're on Twitter, check him out. Uh, Facebook as well. Super seventy sports. Our thanks to Ricky Cobb. We'll pause for a quick word from our friends at Cross Insurance. And when we come back, character actor extraordinaire William Sanderson will talk with us about the recent New Heart reunion and uh, stories from his wonderful book, Yeah, I'm Mad Guy, The Rough and Tumble Life of a Character Actor. Bill Sanderson next on Downtown. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Downtown, a proud son of Memphis, who has uh, come from very humble roots, but has had a terrific career as an actor. And films like Coal Miner's Daughter, Blade Runner, TV series like Deadwood, True Blood, and of course, most notably, his long run as Larry, one of the three brothers on Newhart. He's also the author of a terrific memoir, Yes, I'm That Guy, The Rough and Tumble Life of a Character Actor. And a frequent visitor to our show, we had a great time catching up with William Sanderson here on Downtown. Bill, welcome back. Oh, thank you very much. I was surprised to hear from you after we did that show with Bob Newhart or Zoom thing. It was great to see them, but anyway, uh, I'm happy to hear from you. Well, it was wonderful. I had so much fun uh, watching that reunion uh, with with you and and Tony and John and our friend Julia Duffy and and Bob as well. Y'all look great. And was it as as fun for you guys as it was for us watching? Well, it was fun. And uh, always when a few people, whether it's from your church or wherever, uh, tell you they enjoyed it or relatives and it was great to see them. We don't get together that often, and uh, I missed Peter uh, Scolari and, of course, Tom and Mary Fran, but Tom Poston. But, yeah, it was fun, but I think it's more fun after I got through it and didn't spill anything and <laughs> didn't break anything. It, I'm still learning uh technical things got a lot to learn well you look great on there I mean, everybody looked great and um, and bob man he's is he 91 years old now and he's still not only sharp but he's still got that that great bob newhart comic timing oh oh it was wonderful to see that i mean his memory is better than mine and <laughs> most of us and uh, yeah it was a pleasure to do it and even the host were who raised a lot of money for charity for the actors fund and others it was great it was great uh, i don't know what i'll say to you that i haven't already said but just one thing if i can please uh, do 
uh, breaking news. You know how they say that. <laughs> I'm retiring officially. Well, I'm except William Sanderson can't speak in the third person. Is retiring, but I I still love to talk about my book or any chance to talk about myself. I guess, but podcasts and so forth. But I'm not doing any work. Well, as long as you don't consider this work and you'll keep coming back to talk to us once in a while. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, thank you. You know, uh, may I mention the book? You uh, gave one of the first reviews, and I still love the book, and I still return to it now and then. Uh, but it was, uh, it was very nice of you, and you read a lot of books, so to even take time to get through Yes, I'm that guy, the rough-and-tumble life of a character actor. That impressed me. And the guest, I looked up the guests you had on. You talked to physicists. You talked to uh, scientists and sports people. I mean, when do you sleep, Bruce? <laughs> oh, I managed to get that in. Uh, usually in my day job, I'm a school teacher during the day, so I, I nap a lot then when the students are working. Oh, my goodness. What are you teaching? I teach uh, civics, uh, government, and, and U.S. history. Oh, what? What, uh, like ninth grade? Yep, ninth grade, high school freshmen, and uh, occasionally some juniors and seniors. Oh, man, this is uh, this is exciting. You know, uh, uh, one of the courses I passed, <laughs> civics. <laughs> but uh, congratulations, you know. And I, try, I, I saw the picture of your handsome son. I see the dog. I said, well, he's got a great life. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing okay. And, you know, like... Like you, it took me a while to get here. You know, I, I came to fatherhood at a pretty late age. And, and one of the things I love about your story is that you acknowledge some of the struggles that you had along the way, some of them of your own making. But when you uh, w when you found Sharon, things got a lot better. And sometimes it just takes finding that right person. Oh, I was so lucky. You know, I have a cynical friend who passed away. His name's Charles Napier, a character actor. And he said... Hmm. Women were like dice. Sometimes they come up snake eyes. But <laughs> I guess that applies to men, too. But I did have a—I stayed in my adolescence, it seemed like, most of my life. But things turned around when I met her. And she helped with the book. I had to stop drinking completely, too, and— she could remember things that I couldn't, but uh, I don't. I, I'm fumbling here. I don't want to talk about the book too much. You talk about the book all you want because I went back, Bill, and uh, and reread it here over the course of the last week or so when oh, I knew we were going to be talking, and uh, I I think I enjoyed it even more this time around revisiting some of those stories, and I, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind mm -hmm. relating from from the book and, and from your life, of course. Your friendship with, with Tommy Lee Jones, because you've worked together with Tommy a lot, and I think, as you put it in the book, you have a love-hate relationship. You love Tommy, he hates you, but it goes deeper than that. Well, one of my mutual friends that wrote the screenplay, who the late Bill Whitliff said, I said, I don't know if Tommy likes me. He said, he does, he does. <laughs> but he doesn't like, Tommy doesn't look you in the eye when he talks, and uh but it was great starting. I'd seen Tommy on the stage in New York, a play I wanted to be in. Didn't get it, but 
coal miner's daughter, which I'd played a moonshiner, and it made money. And that led to me getting some other jobs with him. And he is a, a little tough, a little tough. <laughs> but it was a big compliment for him to ask me to be in a play, ostensibly about Billy the Kid, mm. the guy who claimed he was Billy the Kid, and uh, he was, as you might know, fairly crazy. But it was really, you know, the money wasn't an object. We shot it in Texas, and uh, it was a learning experience. You know, can I give you one example? I, uh, I can't cut it off. They, uh, the piece of direction, I said, Tommy, he, he, in the photos I see, he's got a smile, and he said... Uh, Maybe he's not really smiling. Maybe his lips are just turned up. <laughs> uh, if you do that, uh, listeners going home, uh, try it, man. You'll feel, to... like, you'll feel like a crazy person. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but it breaks my heart that I didn't get to do a seventh uh, job with him, the Batman, because I want Jim Carrey and Val Kilmer and but uh, I'm dropping names like crazy. A director <laughs> wouldn't let me out, famous guy, out of a rehearsal. So, But Batman, you know, they pay residuals whether mm. they do well at the box office or not. So yeah, anyway, I did a number, and I've got a lot of Tommy stories that are, I wish I could come up with a better one. Can you? He, uh, oh, he's, um, he picked me up outside the hotel. And, I, and he was behind a lattice door. I said, what are you doing lurking outside the hotel? He said, I don't lurk. I loom. <laughs> I love that story. I also love the story that you tell uh, in, in Yes, I'm That Guy about uh, how you got your role in The Client. That was a, a fascinating story. Oh, piece of luck. In New York, I'd go to uh, uh poker games and i didn't have enough money i didn't want to lose it but there was some guys that went later went to hollywood and very successful one of them i guess was uh a joel schumacher the famous director mm. uh of the client his agent and uh, my agent couldn't get me in on the movie and so i called joel schumacher's agent and he said, well, he's coming over here in a few minutes. Uh, you put a resume together and ma email it or send it over, fax it. And so I put a suit on went to CAA offices. and I had a flat top. and He ended up hiring me. The casting director knew me, lived in my building. <laughs> and my ex-wife threw me out in the hall once. I was an A-kid. And uh, <laughs> uh, the casting director... So, oh, you got a problem, Bill. And uh, I ended up getting the movie, and I said, I don't have to audition. And the cast director said, Joel said, uh, your naked appearance in the hall was good enough. <laughs> I, I didn't tell the story right, but... <laughs> but that... You, I, I, I didn't tell the story right, probably. But, oh, you uh, told it great, and that part does seem like such a natural for you, but then, then you found out no lines, no dialogue for your character. Oh, yeah, and then I learned how hard it was for Tony, my brother Daryl, mm. and John, my 
Volstead and Tony Pampas how hard it is. Um, but they had written me a scene, and uh, it was I come in with a tie, see if he wants to wear that in this French restaurant. But Tommy didn't want me to talk. It's not the first time. <laughs> and so I, I didn't know until I flew to Memphis that he didn't talk. He, in the book, he's kind of a colorful guy. But that's often the case with the character actor down the pecking order. He's in uh, Execution Song. He was a cellmate of Gary Gilmore, my character. Mm. But I just, uh, like you said earlier, I feel happy and grateful, considering uh, where it came from. And you know, the music was a happy part of my childhood. The home life, not always. But I probably said to you before. Uh, Santana wrote a book, and I read it because my wife really loves Santana. And he said, don't cry at your own movie. <laughs> well, that's good advice. Bill, then you, you've talked so eloquently in the book about your your battles with self-doubt through the years. But I don't, I don't think that's uncommon to you. Have you found along the way that, that most actors, because you're in a business where you're always getting rejected, that, that self-doubt yeah, is yeah. something everybody deals with? Yeah, and I steal a phrase from somebody, low self-esteem is a step up. <laughs> but I, uh, the insecurity never goes away, but I've read famous directors that uh, say I was never very confident about my work, and some so-called artists or movie actors uh, have a dissatisfaction with themselves. But that may be why we do it. Mm. Get get a review like you wrote. Get a pat on the back. I don't know. I don't know. I just found acting fun as opposed to law school. Well, you, you've said uh, that you're retired. You, you made that announcement. And, and if indeed uh, you're done with that part of your of your career, are you are you awful happy that you you got to go out doing some great work in uh, that wonderful reunion of Deadwood the movie? Well, yes, I'm happy, and the agent who, you know, he represents uh, people like, uh, some. if he talks to me, he only talks to me if there's some money really involved, but he said, do you know how many people get two hit series in a row? Mm. And uh, notwithstanding, I didn't do every episode, but that even worked out better, because you can do, get a chance to do other things. Now, I'm very... Grateful, but I'm not above practicing some self-deception. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sure I put that in the book. Jackie Gleason said, self-deception thrives in a compost of flattery. <laughs> that is perfect. I walk, in an, I walk in an office in L.A., and there's four or six people, and somebody says, I don't know who to suck up to. <laughs> no. Still don't. But that's why I talk to you. I can have two or three people on the radio, and I go crazy. I don't, I don't know who I'm talking to. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's always a treat for us. So, Bill, you're out there in the Harrisburg area, and that's uh, that's where Sharon grew up, and you, you've become a part of that community. What is it you like about being where you are these days? Well, I start with the people. They're just really real, and that's a uh, word Tony Pappenfuss used to use a lot to try to stay real. And they are the kind that uh, they, I, we were talking the other day, 
They don't need to lie. They're just straightforward. Mm. And uh, you might have a bad back, which my wife does right now, sciatica, if I'm pronouncing it right. But I walk into CVS, and I said, well, my back is bothering me. Pulling weeds or something. I had several years ago, and he said, oh, yeah, everybody has a bad back. On, on to the next, all along, Tennessee Williams says. Did I pronounce that? I don't speak French, but I looked it up, and I loved the word. It's uh, march forward. Sounded great to me, but I only took a couple years of French, and that was that was decades ago in high school. Well, uh, somebody laughed at me when we went to dinner in New York. Oh, Southern accent. Uh, French with a southern accent. Well, <laughs> I, guess you, I don't know. It, it, but you have a lot of free time in L.A., too. So I would take courses in different things. But uh, uh, what what else? What else? Uh, I, I want to get, uh, because we always love it when you uh, would tell us a little bit about your many encounters with Elvis growing up in, in Memphis. Can you uh, can you share an Elvis story with us, Bill? Oh, that was the most fun part to get through. It's like yesterday in my mind, but I have gone to auditions, and my wife said, oh, stop talking about it, and they'll know how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, of course, I was a child, really, 11, 11 years old or something, in the fifth grade, when his songs hit the radio, and I really liked the first one he recorded. That's all right, Mama. But somehow he did a concert in Memphis. At tw- I was about 12. And it was uh, just a, a really exciting outdoor uh, arena. And then all of a sudden, at 13, I would hang around the store on Beale Street where Elvis shopped. And the owner, I didn't know, I put this together later, the owner's son was in my mother's classroom, third grade classroom. He says to me, uh, do you want to ride out to Elvis's? I got to deliver some clothes. <laughs> I'm 13 then, I think. And uh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> we ride out and you go through the gate, ride up in the back and see the Cadillac motorcycle. But there, when I went in with him, he said, he said Mr. Lansky said, sit down over there. So I did. Three or four guys hanging around that worked for him and travel with him. The piano and Elvis was playing it and I I don't know if I said it in the book. It's like being in heaven. He's playing a song by uh, Fats Domino. I didn't know Elvis could play the piano. I said, oh. And then he did Don't Be Cruel. and uh, I put some vulgarisms in the book that I heard the guys say about the song would never get old. And, <laughs> and he didn't know who I was, but he didn't wasn't unkind. I think he did say something like, I wondered who that was in my house, and I didn't know who it was. <laughs> Then saw him in the record store, other stories, uh, up close, kissing women he'd never seen. <laughs> it was fun. The concerts were fun. and I. But uh, once I started, I, it was the young Elvis. He didn't even have a dyed black hair. He, we got to play football together until it got so big, and we, they were bringing out the uh, university pres- uh, quarterback to play. Then they had a on Elvis's team had a guy that later played in the pros. I <laughs> I can't fight that hard. Well, he but must. We had fun. We had fun. Amusement park, movie house. He didn't know me from Adam, but 
But he must have uh, he must have always had some of that little kid in him because we were talking with uh, uh, Billy Moomy, who was uh, you know, a child actor back in the in the nineteen sixties, and he told the great story of uh, uh, running into Elvis. Uh, no, actually, it wasn't Billy; it was Barry Livingston from My Three mm-hmm. Sons, who uh, who saw this limo and uh, on, on the lot while he was shooting the show, and and there was Elvis. And he saw him, and Elvis said, you like the car? Do you want to take a look at it, kid? And Sure. And he had a TV in the back of his limo, and uh, he put got Barry in the car and actually drove him around the oh. lot and, and just uh, seemed to understand what it was like uh, even when he was in his 20s. He remembered what it was like to, to be a kid and, and seemed to have a special fondness for young people. Well, he, uh, yeah, he was nine years older than I was, but, you know, that's, one of the things I can't forget, we were playing football, and there was a tub of ice and Pepsis. <laughs> and I went over, and I think I got one, and he, I was looking in the window of a limo that they had brought to, out that evening to play football. And he said, you want to sit in it? And I said, I don't want to get it dirty. <laughs> uh, and he said, well, if Bardo won't hurt, Get it dirty, you won't hurt it. And I had to look that up. Bardot <laughs> was a, someone he knew, but I thought he was making fun of some greasy guy. <laughs> but he was, uh, and of course, I got up the nerve for him to get an autograph. And uh, outside the neighborhood theater, and a, a woman said, told me how much it was worth, and I hope she's right. <laughs> Not for sale, but. Well, Bill, it yeah, is he always, was always courteous, always nice to the fans. It is always a treat for us to talk with you, Bill. And again, it was so great to see you with your your television brothers last week on that that New Heart reunion. I told uh, Julia Duffy that uh, she looked she looked wonderful. She insisted it was all the lighting. I don't know. Ah, she always looks beautiful. But uh, can I can I get you to ask me why I wrote it? If you don't mind. I would, yeah, absolutely. Why? Why did you? Because it it couldn't have been easy to to sell tell some of these stories from your life. Why did you write the book? Vanity. <laughs> you know, I I uh, there's lots of reasons that I wrote it, but uh, now if somebody does ask me, was it vanity? You know, some people think that's everything, but I hope not. <laughs> Well, I, you, you know, Bill, Thank I, you for I, letting me impose on you, though. No, I, you know, I, as you mentioned, I, I read a lot of these books. We have a lot of authors on, but this is, uh, uh, to me, it's one of the best. As somebody who's done a little acting myself uh, on the side at a very amateur level here, but uh, it's such a glimpse into an actor's life, and and it's such uh, an encouraging and uplifting story of uh, of your life and what you've learned, the lessons along the way, and I, I love the book. It's called Yes, I'm That Guy, The Rough and Tumble Life of a Character Actor, William Sanderson. It is, uh, once again, so much fun for us to catch up with you. Thank you for carving out a little time for us today. It's an honor, and um, I I don't know how you do it. Get some sleep. <laughs> we'll do that. Thank you so much, Bill. Be well. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. That's Bill Sanderson. Again, the uh, memoir, so good. Yes, I'm that guy. The rough and tumble life of a character actor. And like, well, we got a scoop from Bill that he is officially retired from acting, but hopefully not retired from talking to us. You know, we visit once a year with him, but it's always a treat. He is, he is such a, a humble, 
down-to-earth guy. And when he says he wrote the book out of vanity, yeah, there may be some of that as an actor, but but I, I don't know. We talked to a lot of actors. His level of vanity is, mm. uh, I would say, well below that of the average actor. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it it was people telling him that you, you need to get these stories written down. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's told them many times, but getting them written down is just so, such great storytelling. In there. Absolutely. And always fun to talk with him. Thanks to Bill Sanderson. Uh, thanks as well to Ricky Cobb of Super 70 Sports. And thanks to you for joining us on this week's edition of Downtown, the podcast. <laughs>